Welcome to Friendship Church Online. Thank you for joining us this morning. We have been studying the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in chronological order as best as possible. And we've been studying the life of Christ chronologically so that we can understand the context with which uh, he is encountering people, performing miracles, and uh, sharing his teaching. So you can comment questions during the message. Uh, you can also always email them to us later on. Uh, this week. And then if any questions come in regarding the message today, uh, we'll do our best to upload a video uh, responding to any of those questions that come in. Make sure to say hello and let us know you're worshiping with us. Uh, if you have any prayer requests, you can comment them in the chat room, uh, in the little chat window off to the side. Um, or you can put those in the comment section if you're watching on YouTube. And make sure to share this video with your friends on Facebook. If you send them a text message or email, um, let them know that we uh, are praying for them and we would love for them to be a part of the worship services with Friendship Church if they're not connected with the church. We want to we just be an encouragement to them. So if you're new to Friendship Church, if you're watching and, and uh, new to our uh, church family, please comment. Uh, if you're watching on friendshipchurch.online.church, on the top right-hand corner, there's a little thing that says connection card. If you would click that, it'll open up another window and you can give us some information so that we can follow up with you, say hello, and email you a free gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us online. If you have your Bibles or if you're using the Bible app or using the Bible window on the online.church uh, format, you can click that and go to John chapter 9 and that's where we're going to be today. We are in part 14 of my message. Uh, the sermon series is In His Steps, and the title today is The Light in a Blind World. Have you ever met someone who they felt like they had the spiritual gift of sarcasm? They were just so sarcastic with every answer they gave, and it just annoyed you so much. You couldn't get a straight answer out of them. Or, or everything out of their mouth was peppered with so much sarcasm that you knew they were upset about something, but you had no idea what they were upset about. Well, if you've ever parented a teenager, you've either received a large dose of sarcasm or you've dished one out. And in today's passage in John chapter 9, we get to see that sarcasm is not just an American thing. It extended all the way to Israel in first century A.D., so in John chapter 8, just to give you a little background, John chapter 8, Jesus had the encounter with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She was dragged in front of Jesus with, uh, by men, ready to stone her to death, and they asked Jesus to pronounce judgment upon her in an effort to test Jesus and trick him and try to trip him up. <clears throat> he gave hope to a hopeless woman in a hopeless situation. Then he was accosted by the religious leaders and he revealed himself to be the Son of God and the Messiah yet again. Of course, they rejected such a statement and they sought to stone him. And so in John chapter 8 is where two famous phrases of Jesus can be found. The first of which is, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the other very famous phrase is that Jesus is the light of the world. And that last statement is what sets the stage for the encounter we find ourselves in today. 
We're looking at John chapter 9 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus reiterates the fact that he is the light of the world right in front of this blind man. Now, we ask ourselves, when we come into a passage like this, we ask ourselves the question, how did the disciples know the man was blind from birth? Well, they probably had seen him before. The blind man was known for being blind his whole life. Maybe he was born without eyes at all. So that definitely would have let them know and let everyone know the man had been blind from birth. The man was in a completely hopeless situation, a beggar for his entire life. And to make matters worse, right in front of him, he is the subject of a theological debate. They're discussing whose sin caused him to be born this way. And the whole conversation is taking place right in front of him. It's bad enough for someone to talk behind your back, but to insult you and your family and to treat you like you're invisible all the while right in front of you, it was just not appropriate. And so the setting was bad for the question, but the question was valid. Their understanding of sickness and suffering was that it was solely because of someone's sin. They had completely forgotten the lesson from the book of Job where his suffering was not because of his sin. But we often do the same thing. We often try to understand suffering through our own lens. We live in a fallen world where good behavior is not always rewarded and bad behavior is not always punished. Therefore, innocent people sometimes suffer. It, if, if God took away suffering every time we asked, we would follow him for our personal comfort and convenience, not out of love and devotion. So the disciples voiced the foundational question during suffering, the question of why. And because in their theology, suffering is always associated with sin, they asked Jesus who sinned, who caused this man's suffering? Did this man cause his own suffering somehow in the womb or did his parents cause his suffering? And his parents, we will be introduced to later in the story. So Jesus corrected their theology. This man's suffering was not a result of sin. Instead, Jesus told them something completely unexpected. He said that this man was born blind, that, that all of his suffering, all of the difficulty in his life was for one reason alone, for the works of God to be to be made visible and manifest in him. His suffering was allowed by God so that God could be glorified through it. This can be hard to accept, especially in the midst of our suffering. But just because something is hard to accept doesn't make it any less true. 
This man was born blind and he had endured hardship his whole life because he was going to be sitting on that road when Jesus would walk by so that Jesus could perform a miracle in his life. Jesus, the light of the world, was about to prove that very thing. Not just to this man, but to everyone that would be involved in this story. So the question isn't, who caused this man's suffering? The question is, will you allow God to use your suffering for his glory? Let's look at John chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. This is what it says. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. In this situation, my first question was, why the mud pie, Jesus? There were times when Jesus just spoke the word and a person was healed. Sometimes they touched him or he touched them and they were healed. This time Jesus spit on the ground. But why? I think we, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden for that question. When God made Adam, he made him from the dust of the ground. When Jesus needed to perform a creative miracle where he created new eyes for this man, he used the dust of the ground to do it. He spit on the ground, he made mud, he put it on the man's eyes, and then he sent the man to go wash himself. Jesus might have just been using the mud to help develop the man's faith, not as actual medicine. But as the man obeyed, he was healed and he could see with brand new eyes. One of my favorite videos on the Internet is these videos of people who are colorblind and their family or maybe the children, the kids in their classroom uh, buy these glasses, special glasses for their teacher or their parent or a loved one. And these special glasses allow someone who is colorblind to see colors for the very first time. Their family uh, or the students or whoever uh, bought these glasses for them, they wrap them up in a, in a, in a box and uh, they fill the room or fill the yard with different colored balloons and t-shirts and decorations. And for the first time ever, people put on these special glasses and it allows them to look up and they see the blue sky for the very first time. They see the green grass. They see the red fire hydrant. They see orange and yellow and purple and pink balloons. Life is no longer shades of gray for them. But it's bursting with all of the colors that were there the whole time. They just couldn't see them. For this man, it must have been a similar experience, but even more dramatic. He's never seen anything. Oh, the colorblind people can see at least shades of gray. He couldn't see anything. He didn't know what anything looked like. And the world that he knew was only what he had heard, what he had smelled, what he had tasted, and what he had touched. And now he had a whole new experience to add to it. He could see everything he had been missing. It must have been amazing to experience and witness. Yet when the man came back to where he had been begging, where he had been sitting, Jesus and his disciples are gone. One commentator remarked, In all their theologizing and philosophizing, the disciples attempting, 
the disciples were attempting to be teachers. When in reality, Jesus had called them to be touchers. It's easy to discuss situations and solutions. But when we get to heaven, the Lord is not going to say, well said, good and faithful servant. He's waiting to say, well done. I always hated the statement, those that can't do, teach. I felt like it was such an insult to the fantastic teachers that I have known over the years that could definitely be making more money doing something else, but they loved teaching. They loved pouring themselves into others to help them learn and develop. However, I think this statement applies here regarding the kingdom. It's easy to teach someone how to be a disciple, or let's say it's easy to teach someone how to disciple others instead of actually taking the time to disciple others. I could tell you the principles. I could tell you the techniques. I could give you a book list to read. And that's much easier than me taking the time one-on-one and doing the work with you. James said that we're not merely to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers also. Yes, we teach the word of God, but not at the expense of touching people in their times of need. I'm sure you've heard the expression, give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. But while he's getting his fishing lessons, he's still starving. Instead, let's meet the needs of people. And let's teach them how to meet the needs of others as well. John chapter 9 verses 8 through 12. It says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Well, this man had to just be walking around, taking it all in, walking up to everything, touching it, seeing flowers and fruit for the first time, seeing the shapes of animals and the faces of people that had passed him by thousands of times. He had to be filled with wonder and awe. People started to take notice of him. Isn't this the blind beggar? Some people said, yeah, yeah, that's him. That's him. He looks familiar. Others said, It can't be, but man, the resemblance is uncanny. And he's standing there saying, yeah, it's me. I was blind, but now I see. Guys, it's me. Seriously, it's me. No, 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 no. It can't be, but you look like him. Man, you look like him. And he's all the while insisting, seriously, guys, it's me. I was the blind beggar. If he was, this was a tremendous miracle. But he's all alone and just touching everything that he sees. He was like a toddler in the Walmart toy aisle. He just can't keep his hands to himself. And so when he's asked, how did this happen? He provided a simple explanation of the miracle to them of how he was able to see. And that piqued the curiosity of the people there. So they wanted to meet the miracle worker. If someone healed you, we want to meet him. We want to know who did this. But by now, Jesus was gone. 
And because they were at a loss of what to do or who to ask when a supernatural occurrence took place, what did they do? They turned to the religious leaders of their day. John chapter 9, verses 13 through 17 is the next section. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he was able to receive his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're referring to Jesus here. But others said, Well, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Well, John provided an important detail to this story. Because Jesus yet again performed a miracle on the Sabbath day. It was forbidden to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And apparently fashioning a mud pie was considered work. So these religious leaders condemned Jesus' actions. A man born blind has just been dramatically healed. Instead of rejoicing that God has performed a miracle in their town, that the Messiah might have arrived, they rejected that idea because of their strict interpretation of the law of rest. This man is obviously not from God because he doesn't obey all our made-up rules. Yet not all the religious leaders agreed. Some raised voices of dissent and said, well, if this man were a sinner, how could he perform miracles or signs? So this divided the group between those who condemned Jesus' actions and those who didn't agree with that judgment. Attention turned back to the man as they asked him what he thought of the man who healed him. And his response was, he's a prophet. Sometimes Old Testament prophets performed miracles with God's power. So this is a reasonable statement for the man to make. Just like the woman at the well in the beginning of John, uh, in one of the chapters of John's gospel, this man declared Jesus to be a prophet, a man of God, based on his eyewitness experience, based on the miracle that no one else, not even the religious leaders, could do. John chapter 9, verses 18 through 23 It says the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And then there's a parenthetical statement here in this translation. Other translations don't have it in parentheses, but it states this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the religious leaders. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The religious leaders knew, the religious leaders who knew the scriptures 
and instances of God performing miracles in the past refused to accept this miracle because it happened on the Sabbath, a holy day. To them, since God rested on the first Sabbath, apparently he needed a day off and he had been resting on every Sabbath since then. But Jesus rejected that idea. He told them that God only rested on the first Sabbath as an example to us, but that God had not taken a day off since then. So they continued to debate. They disputed this man's testimony. They disputed the testimony of those who knew him to be the blind beggar. Their solution was to bring in the man's parents and to pressure him, to pressure them into forcing him to recant his story. Is this your son who you say was born blind? Yes, that's him. Okay, if that's him, how is he able to see now? And so John provided us the backstory that the, that the Pharisees had already heard about Jesus and had already warned people not to spread stories about him or they would be ostracized from the religious community. That was a serious punishment when their holidays and their spiritual well-being, their right standing with God was completely dependent upon being in right standing with the religious leaders. To be excommunicated would mean that they were spiritually dead and also dead in their community. People would have nothing to do with them. People wouldn't conduct business with them. People wouldn't marry their children to their children. This was a serious thing that the religious leaders threatened people with. So his parents responded, yes, that's our son. Yes, he was born blind, but we have no idea how, he's, how he is now able to see. And since we don't want to be kicked out of church, he's an adult. Why don't you ask him? John chapter 9, verse 24. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, referring to Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. So when their attempt to get the man to change his story failed and their attempt to get the eyewitnesses story failed and their attempt to get the parents story to change failed, they tried yet again. They told the man to glorify God for this miracle instead of glorifying Jesus. After all, if Jesus was the Messiah, he would never violate the Sabbath by healing someone on it. That would be considered work. But for Jesus, performing miracles and healings was no work at all. John 9, 25 through 27, the man answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I like this guy. He's tired of their questions. He's tired of their lack of excitement for his miracle. He once was blind, but now he sees. So he responded in a way that I think a lot of us would, with sarcasm. Verses 28 through 30. And they reviled him, 
saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. When it says that they reviled him, it means they heaped abuse upon him. They hurled insults at him. They weren't going to be bested and embarrassed publicly by an illiterate, formerly blind beggar. Verses 31 to 34. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You've got to hand it to this guy. He went toe to toe with these highly educated religious elites and he didn't back down. He taught them a valuable lesson about recognizing the Messiah when he comes. In essence, he said, this man, Jesus, performed a miracle in your town and you don't know anything about him? Isaiah had prophesied three times that the Messiah would open blind eyes when he came. This man has just received a miracle and he basically said, look, the one who opened my eyes is of God. How else can you explain what happened here? It's never happened before if God were not with this person. You all claim to be authorities on spiritual matters and you can't even answer that simple question. And what was their response? Well, they employed the last line of defense in a debate. And when you're losing the debate and you have nothing substantive to reply with, you insult your opponent. They hurled insults at him, attributing his blind from birth condition to sin. Can you see the contrast? You see, the disciples asked Jesus the origin of his condition. Was it his sin at birth or his parents' sin? And, and that leads us to believe they were asking that he might have been conceived out of wedlock, that his parents weren't married when he was conceived, which was him being conceived in sin and therefore uh, be the source of his condition. That's what they were asking, his sin or his parents' sin. The Pharisees weren't part of that conversation and in their minds, they had no doubt at all. He, if he was born with some physical deformity, they believed his parents were to blame. Yet Jesus had already provided the answer. Neither was the case. It wasn't his sin and it, his parents weren't to blame either. But for this moment, so that God in flesh could perform a miracle, and many people would come to faith because of it. Verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that the man had been cast out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And worshipped him. 
Thankfully, Jesus found the man that had been thrown out of church. I think Jesus is often found in places like that, among people like that. People who might not fit into their local congregation, but whose hearts are turned towards Christ. They're searching, they're hungry, and they don't always dress the right way. They don't always talk the right way. They don't, they don't always act the right way. I'm so thankful that Jesus looked at me when I was dead in my sins and rebellion and he loved me first. I'm so thankful that he didn't say that I was too far gone, that I had sinned too much to be saved. Jesus asked him if he believed in the Son of Man, which was one of the titles of the Messiah. And the man said, yes, if, if I knew who he was, yes, I would believe in him. So Jesus revealed himself yet again as the Messiah, as God's anointed. The fact, uh, the man's response was the correct one. It was the right one. He declared his faith. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. The fact that Jesus repeatedly received worship from people is yet another proof of his godhood. No angel, no man was allowed to receive worship. And Jesus received worship from people, and rightfully so. He is the Messiah. John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41, the end of the chapter. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Jesus, this is a little cryptic in some ways, but Jesus used the occasion of the blind man seeing to provide a brief teaching on the subject, on spiritual blindness. He said that it's the people who can't see spiritually but desperately want to that he reaches out to. It's, it's like when he said, I didn't come for the healthy. The doctor doesn't come for healthy people. The doctor comes to help sick people. The blind who come to sight, just like the sinners who need a savior, admit their helpless state and their inability to save themselves. Those that are rejected are those that see the truth. They know the truth and they choose to blind themselves with pride and arrogance. They read scripture and they seek to use it for their own personal benefit, not to pursue a life of godliness. Jesus doesn't need to condemn them. They're condemning themselves. A couple of religious leaders spoke up and they asked, we're not blind, are we? They expected a negative answer because they assumed that of all people, they were the men of spiritual perception. But Jesus spoke right to their spiritual condition and he revealed that they were guilty in their sins. Sin constantly deceives people so they live in falsehood. If they were blind to spiritual things, they could at least plead spiritual ignorance. But since they claimed spiritual insight and knowledge, the truth of their spiritual condition was exposed. When Jesus put mud in the blind man's eyes, they could have said, the, the man could have said, wait, 
You're not making things any better. You're actually making things worse. You're putting dirt and mud in my eye. That's not improving the situation. There are times in our lives when we pray, where we fast, where we step out in faith and believe God for the impossible. And instead of things getting better, they got worse. The future got darker and dimmer. And we ask, what are you doing, God? When mud gets in your eye, when dirt gets in your eye, it causes an irritation. And you seek an immediate solution to remove that irritation. Have you ever had like an eyelash or something in your eye? And it's so small, but I mean, there is everything else stops. If you're driving, you got to pull off to the side of the road. If you're trying to sleep, you've got to get that out of your eye because it irritates your eye so much. There is no way you can do anything else except for deal with that problem in your eye. When Jesus told the man to go and wash the mud off of his face, there's no hint of hesitation. He didn't have to ask. He didn't have to be asked twice. This week, irritations have come into your life that have caused you pain. It's possibly in the form of a decrease of hours at work. Maybe a forced furlough. Maybe you have been laid off. Any of which have caused a significant decrease in income and a significant increase in your stress level. It could be that supplies for the household or food that you need, you can't find. It could be the fact that you were not cut out to homeschool your kids and now you're forced to be their teacher, their PE coach, their guidance counselor, and their principal all in one. Irritations arise, but they aren't the end of the story. Jesus didn't just leave the man with mud in his eye and walk away. He told him to be washed, to be cleansed. What do we do when we have an irritation in our life? We run to the water. What's the water? Well, Paul said that we are cleansed by the washing of water with the word of God. And so God's word cleanses us. It directs us. It gives us guidance and peace and gives us thousands of years worth of examples of God's overwhelming faithfulness. When we turn to God's word in times of crisis, we see things clearly in the way God intended us to. We see the future without fear because we see through the eyes of our faithful God. I want you to get a picture of a father taking hold of the shoulders of his child, looking deep into their eyes as they're about to step into the unknown and hearing their father's steady and reassuring voice to say, I will never, never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. I will never, never, never abandon you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can anyone do to me? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your overwhelming faithfulness. We thank you that in the midst of darkness and despair and confusion and frustration and irritation, Lord, like the blind man who was born blind and had no hope of restoration, no hope of healing, you performed a miracle in his life. You did what was completely impossible, what no one else could do. None of the religious leaders could do. Nobody in his, no doctor, nobody in his village or, or town or in the entire country could do. You did the impossible. And so, Father, we look to you, Lord, to do the impossible in our lives. For this, the past several weeks and the next several weeks ahead of us, some folks will be facing a lot of uncertainty, a lot of irritation, a lot of stress and frustration. And Father, we pray that in moments like these, when we find our stress level increasing, our uncertainty increasing, that we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to you as our faithful God. We surrender to you. We trust you, Lord. Our job, our vocation, our employer has never been our source. God, you are our source. And we trust you and we lean on you and we depend on you and we thank you and we praise you. We thank you, God, that the church continues. The gospel is being preached around the world and the church will emerge from this stronger than ever before. So, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for being with us in our times of difficulty, irritation, frustration, confusion, and fear. We thank you, Lord, that your perfect love casts out fear. And so we trust you. The words in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We thank you, Lord, for that reassurance. We exalt your name and we bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Friendship Church. We encourage you to share this message with others. If this has been an encouragement to you, let this be an encouragement to others and share it. We're praying for you. Please let us know how we can be praying for you this week, what needs you have, what we can do to help you. God bless you, Friendship Church. We love you.